Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. the show. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and joining me is Linda Nance for a discussion about Annie Turnbull Malone and her contribution as a pioneer, innovator, and entrepreneur in the African-American beauty industry. Linda will share her observations and view from her seat concerning the Netflix miniseries, Self-Made. Linda Nance is currently the founding president of the Annie Malone Historical Society, and so she really knows a lot about Annie Malone. As the previous director of resources for the Annie Malone Children and Family Service Center, she annually coordinated activities involving five different fundraising events, open to cafes, secured neighborhood assistance tax credit, and conducted a successful challenge grant campaign. So for those of you who don't know, over a century ago, Annie Turnbull Malone and Madam C.J. Walker were pioneering innovators and entrepreneurs in the African-American beauty industry, as well as philanthropists. Each developed hair care and beauty products, created beauty schools, and launched highly successful businesses that employed hundreds of African-Americans, mainly women. So let me just give a warm welcome back to the show, Linda Nance. Welcome, Linda. Welcome. I am very welcome, and I thank you for having me today. Well, I want you to just start off, before we even talk about the miniseries, tell us about Annie Malone. Well, Annie Malone was a brilliant woman, number one, a great businesswoman, 
uh, a very fine philanthropist because she had uh, her interest in uplifting women throughout the world, and she was a community developer. Her business got started in 1900, actually, in Lovejoy, Illinois. But let me back up and tell you, she wasn't born in Lovejoy. She was born in Metropolis, Illinois, and she was orphaned very early. Her father died, her mother died first, and her father died shortly after. And she was raised in Peoria, Illinois, with an older sister and brother. Um, she always had an interest in hair. For some reason, she just liked to style it and comb it and brush it. And um, she got really, really interested in the sores that people had in their head. Um, women of that time used to put grease and lard and lye and all kinds of treatments on the hair. And what was interesting was that uh, she decided she could mix some things together and heal those scalp problems that people had. And she suggested ways for people to keep it clean and told her sister, I want to do this all of my life. I want to help women just learn how to do this and do it very well. And her sister did not agree with her and told her she needed to learn how to get a job doing something else. But that didn't interest Annie. And she continued her uh, mixing and uh, changing of different potions. And uh, what she did is learn that, I think, from uh, the fact that she couldn't go to school. She had some kind of upper respiratory problem. And her sister used to send her to a, a local woman to help uh, with herbs and things. And she learned from that woman. Uh, how to to mix things and crush this and crush that and add a little bit of that. So when Annie got older, she decided, even though her sister didn't want her to, she moved to Lovejoy and started her business in 1900. And she took her little sister with her. Her sister was named Laura. Now, what was interesting, when they mixed up this wonderful hair grower, it was a potion of Annie Malone's that she mixed from the different herbs and the different oils and the different sulfurs that she uh, measured proportions of. And it was so successful that people learned about it in St. Louis and several other places, and she decided that she would move to St. Louis in 1904. Uh, actually, it was 1902 she moved here, and in 1904 she was at the World's Fair selling her products. Um, the Poro system is what she finally named it, and that was P.O. from her uh, last name because she married Mr. Uh, Pope, Mr. Nelson Pope, in 1902 or 1903, and she used the first uh, letters of her sister's name, which was Roberts, so it was P.O.R.O., and they learned that it was also the name of a secret African society that was focused on physical health, and mental health, and they felt very strongly about the use of Puro to identify their system, which was interested in uplifting women and, and making them strong mentally and strong physically, providing them an opportunity to uh, make more money than they could make as a washerwoman or as a domestic worker in someone else's home. Um, Annie Malone moved to St. Louis and uh, began to have an interest in not just what she found in St. Louis, but women in other portions of our United States as well. In fact, um, she went south and uh, engaged a lot of women in 
her hair care products, and she recruited agents from all parts of the country, came back to St. Louis and basically said, I'm going to train women in a school. And she opened uh, one of the first schools to train women in hair and beauty culture and began to open those schools throughout the United States um, and the world eventually. Um, Annie Malone had a large presence. And everywhere she went, she tried to give women that opportunity to um, become entrepreneurs on their own and gave them an opportunity to raise their own families and buy homes and be a, a force in the community because she taught people that you have a stake in things and you can be a part of this community in ways that you never dreamed you could because you have access to your own income. And it really made a difference. She encouraged people to buy property and buy bonds and buy stocks and uh, join civic groups in the different communities where they were. So everywhere Annie Malone went, she tried to uplift women. And it, she obviously did a, a wonderful job. She ended up training 75,000 women in her lifetime and uh, made a, a really large difference to women everywhere. Um, to me, it's amazing to think that she started this business and she grew this business at a time when no woman of any color could vote in the United States. She started a business in 1900, and uh, it, it was flourishing uh, throughout for all that time frame. And uh, the vote came in uh, quite a bit later um, than Annie Malone had started her um, enterprise. She was now prior uh, to prior to her um, starting Portal College. Were there other women out there doing similar work or mixing similar potions that could be put on the hair? Well, I was just about to mention the fact that uh, I don't want to lead people into believing that uh, Annie Malone was the only ever because she was not. Women have adorned themselves for centuries, long before Annie Malone or Madam C.J. Walker. And by the way, Annie Malone did employ Madam C.J. Walker as one of her agents uh, and taught her her trade. And no, Annie Malone was not the very first woman to provide any kind of hair care. She was, however, the very first woman um, that treated the hair care industry in such a way that it became much larger, and she trained legions of women to begin to believe that they could do much better than they were doing. Um, hair care took place in small kitchens and small portions of, of town, yes, but on the scale that Annie Malone engaged in it, no, it had not been done before. That was a, a first thing that uh, got done when Annie Malone looked at it in that particular way. She saw it as a way to unify women and uplift them, um, and it, it really paid off for a lot of women. You have to understand, too, that uh, the migration from the South was occurring and people were coming um, to the Midwest trying to find a, a way to make it, to, to feed their families. And uh, it was a, a great opportunity for women to contribute to the family. And sometimes uh, there were – the single women weren't the first things that were ever started in, in our time. Single women happened throughout our history. And um, it was a great opportunity for single women, for sure, um, to establish themselves. So it, it wasn't the very first thing that, that happened. No, it wasn't. Um, also, 
she wasn't the very first millionaire either uh, in that there was Mary Ellen Pleasant, um, who I believe in the late 1800s made her millions before that. And there were many other millionaires um, who weren't just women of color, but there were men of color who were millionaires as well. So I, I think the understanding that Annie Malone was one among many is something that people really ought to get their heads wrapped around because uh, black people were very capable and have been very capable and will continue to be very capable people. Um, so it's, it's just something that we, we need to get our heads wrapped around. Uh, right. In a nutshell. Well, as a historical society, what types of, of documents and artifacts do you currently have on Annie Malone? We have a few documents, um, or should I say artifacts, that have been given to us by family members um, that I've been able to identify uh, and meet and interview. Uh, We've had uh, artifacts to be given to us by people in our community whose family members had saved this or that, um, hair combs, cans, canisters of product, priceless. I even had one lady to share with me a document that came from uh, the state of Missouri that told us how different women were treated, uh, black women and white women were treated when they came in to take their state examinations. Um, Newspapers from across the country, from California to New York, which have been um, a great help to me in identifying the different things that happened in our community um, all over the country with Annie Malone and the beauty colleges that were there. So often there were so many things going on at the different beauty colleges that Newspapers would have reporters assigned to those colleges to keep abreast of what was going on. Um, They would tell of things, for example, uh, one I was just referred to, and it was an article written in the African-American newspaper in 1934, and Annie Malone was addressing a graduating class there in Baltimore, and the headline for that newspaper read, Poro Head Warns Local Beauticians of White Invasion. Mm-hmm. That's amazing to me because as early as 1934, about the same time that different states were requiring beauticians to have eighth grade educations or high school educations, which was very different from Annie Malone School, the state was beginning to require so much more of beauticians and lock out African-American uh-huh. beauticians. And she warned them, if you're not careful about your beauty secrets and you, you stop this bickering or don't begin to bicker among yourselves, you're going to lose your industry that has been made at this particular point for African-American young women and young men, actually, at that particular time. Um, So she was very clear that you have to protect what it is that's been built for you. From 1900 to 1934 is quite a distance to be training lots of women and giving them uh, a lifestyle, giving them an opportunity for a lifestyle, and then you find that the rules are changing all of a sudden. Um, So back to documentation. Um, I have been able to interview four different relatives of the Turnbow family, 
And uh, some records I have found uh, in libraries uh, across the country. I've been very, very fortunate to to be able to look into people's private collections of things. So um, the documents are mounting. The one thing I do not have uh, is a lot of documentation that came straight from the company itself. And Malone experienced uh, a couple of moves and uh, some fires, particularly in Chicago. So a lot of the records that would normally be a part of um, a collection of a company don't exist or I've just not found them yet. But mm-hmm. I keep looking. So let's talk about the Netflix miniseries Self Made. Tell me your view from your seat, your reaction well, to do. the miniseries. Well, originally when I heard that the miniseries was going to take place, I was very excited in a positive fashion because I thought here's going to be an opportunity for the media to share with the rest of the world how important the hair care industry was for African-American women. Um, I did not think that Annie Malone was going to have a major portion in that, but I was very, very happy to learn that the story was going to be told. When the Netflix series actually premiered and I watched it, I was sadly mistaken in that anticipation. I was hurt even to see that uh, the character, the composite character that became Addie Monroe, supposedly to represent Annie Malone, was made to be such a villain. And I did not understand why that was necessary. And I do understand this was um, made-for-movie entertainment. I got that. But I also felt betrayed that it was billed as the true story of the first African-American female self-made millionaire. You got a problem there. If you're going to talk to me and tell me it's the, the real deal, and then you tell me it is uh, based upon, I got some conflict there. And as a, a senior in our community, I do understand what I heard. Um, but a lot of young people didn't get it. And they are, at this particular point, believing that they are armed with the truth. And that's mm-hmm. dangerous. That's just dangerous. I think, too, that a missed opportunity uh, to take that book to the cinema was very egregious, in fact, because I've got um, millions of eyes looking at this particular thing, and I was very, very disappointed that um, writer of color, showrunners of color, uh, colored producers and executives, um, uh, financial backing for this was heavily African-American, and they chose, they made a concerted effort to continue the stereotypical representation of our history. That's a problem for me. When you tell a story and you're going to base it on some history, it should be more history than fiction. There should be much more truth to it than entertainment. And I think that our general public should be owed more than that. I think it's too dangerous to play with that history. There are too many histories 
of our history, of African-American history, that are tragic enough in and of themselves. So we don't need to fabricate what is so. And it's dangerous to represent to a new generation of people a mix of that that is so mixed you can't tell facts from fiction. So what opportunity uh, have you or have you taken to set the record straight and to well, communicate to the public what the reality is, what's real about Annie Malone? Well, one of the things um, we did was decide to tell the story. Um, in 2013, there was a, a pile of papers on my desk and on the floor around my desk, to be honest, um, that all had information about Annie Malone. And my husband asked me at the time, what are you going to do with all that stuff? Uh, And at the time, I didn't know. But we determined that it, it shouldn't just sit there and I shouldn't just be quiet. I should not be another person who's uncovered uh, an icon in our history and not talk about it. So we started the Annie Malone Historical Society with the purpose of telling her story and presenting her story to the general public so that they could become an informed general public. And that I would set out with the desire to make walking billboards. I have been in a position many, many times to share that story with second graders, with senior citizens, with high school students, with junior high school students. And my desire is to make and give them information that makes them walking billboards. They now know information about Annie Malone that they know is true. Uh, they now know information that is based upon uh, some newspaper article or some interview that I have been able to have with someone, and they know the truth. They can speak the truth. They can share the truth. And that is what we do at this particular point to change that narrative. Also, I know that it's certainly not cheap to get the truth told. And that as a historical society, you have to obtain funds from several sources so that you could get the information out. So what are you doing in the um, area of fundraising? Well, I'm I'm happy you spoke about that because we are uh, about to end a fundraising campaign. It's called Give STL Day. And you can access it by going to givestlday.org forward slash A Malone. Tomorrow is going to be the largest giving day uh, for this Give St. Louis Day. And we are trying to raise $15,000 to expand our uh, educational outreach program and our GED program. Um, And you go and you make a contribution and help us get there. I can tell you that I'm proud that we've gotten to $6,336 as of this moment. Uh, And I'm looking forward to tomorrow being – Thank you very much. Uh, I'm looking forward tomorrow uh, to an even larger day. I'll be honest. uh, We have – the minimum contribution is $10. The largest contribution that we've received is $1,000. Uh, but those contributions can go all the way up to $100,000. We were very fortunate 
um, in 2018 to get a challenge grant of $100,000. And while we haven't had anybody yet to match that, uh, we'd still love somebody to match it, but we've been able to get contributions that allow us to continue. Uh, We're looking for an opportunity to move from uh, a website only to an actual building where we can put a animal museum in that space, as well as provide a GED program, a financial literacy program, an art space that would allow young people to experience what it's like to create and display their works. Um, and then on Saturday, we'd like to uh, enrich young people from K through four, because um, at that particular time, young people learn to read, and they need to be reinforced in that effort. Uh, we want to be able to tuck a little book under their arm and help them build a library of their own, um, because from fourth grade forward, you read to learn. And if you don't have a good basis, you're in trouble. So we'd like to reinforce those things and have those things at our place of headquarters. That's a physical place. So right now we're in the fundraising stages of those things, and that $15,000 is just one portion of uh, the different uh, efforts that we're making to raise money. We have a book that was actually printed by Annie Malone in 1926 that showed the wonderful building that she opened. Annie Malone had uh, five different business expansions, one from Lovejoy to St. Louis. In St. Louis, she moved two different times into places, and then she built a, a magnificent complex from the ground up in the Ville neighborhood uh, during a time when there was uh, lynchings going on in the state of Missouri. There were covenants that said you couldn't build uh, in certain places or live in certain places or buy in certain places. You had the riots in East St. Louis going on, and you had uh, at that particular time a pandemic um, it was a Spanish flu going on uh, as soldiers were returning. But she managed to press forward and open that magnificent building that she built from the ground up in November of 1918, just at the tail end of the Spanish flu pandemic. Um, so Annie Malone was a, a real forward kind of person in thinking. She had an ugly, ugly divorce in 1927 and moved away from St. Louis in 1930, went to Chicago, and moved into four mansions in a row, which they called uh, Poro Block, and started that business all over again. Um, And that was her fifth expansion. She was a woman who had a lot of forward thinking. She took 100 people or more from St. Louis with her to Chicago. Um, And the things that she provided in Chicago were cultural things. Um, She was one who contributed financially to the education of lots of young people. She contributed two scholarships in um, the land-grant colleges for African Americans across the South. Uh, She did that for many years, um, provided a $25,000 amount to Howard University to help establish their medical building. She contributed funds to Wilberforce and Tuskegee and to lots of other places because she believed in in education. Um, Her graduations were legendary, I should say. Um, As early as she was doing graduations, she was graduating 
400 and 600 people at a time. And in smaller places, she was graduating 25 and 30. But my point is, this lady was one who had her hands in some of everything positive, everything moving black people forward. Um, Many people know about Thomas Dorsey, who was the father of gospel. And after a very tragic accident uh, with his family, both his wife and his newborn son died, he was uh, returning to Chicago, went to Annie Malone's house, and on a piano in her house, he pinned the song that every African-American knows, Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on. Everybody knows that song. Everybody's experienced that song. And it was written in Annie Malone's house on a piano. It was a, a Mason Hamlin piano that she moved from St. Louis to Chicago. She had um, Colonel... John C. Robinson, who was an aviator in the Ethiopian Army, who was one of the first people to help to build an airport in Robbins, Illinois, having his ground school at her carriage house because um, there was a horrible uh, tornado, I believe it was, or high winds that tore up the airport. And Annie Malone said, come here, sir and have your ground school because you need to keep on teaching those young aviators. She was just involved in some of everything. The children's home here in St. Louis was her major, major philanthropic piece because she stayed involved with it all of her life. Uh, She dedicated and uh, donated, I should say, the $10,000 property where the building currently sits. Um, it was dedicated, I should say, built in 1922, and it was the first home built for children of color. It was previously called the St. Louis Colored Orphans Home, and she dedicated most of her life to its operations uh, and its upkeep, and in 1946, they named the building in her honor, and um, currently, The parade that takes place here um, is also named in her honor. And it's a beautiful thing that that particular legacy continues because of her dedication. So she was a philanthropist that uh, looked at different areas of African-American life and tried to improve it. Well, this is, you know, I can hear, I can hear the love and the passion in your voice, and your ability to tell Annie Malone's story uh, is just it's something that all of us need to hear, need to be able to say there was an Annie Malone. And for the listeners, for those that perhaps don't know, the National Museum of African American History and Culture have online some of the letters and information about Annie Malone that you all may want to check out. And so I just want to say, Linda, because we're closing out, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us information about 
Annie Malone. And I'm wishing you success in your fundraising activities. And I hope that eventually everyone will understand that the mini-series that concerned you and many of us was just that. It was for entertainment, and it did stretch some of the truth. And some things just did not happen. Do you have any closing um, remarks before I close out tonight? I want to share that some of the documents that are at the Smithsonian, I was able to um, put one of their curators in touch with people here in St. Louis where they got those documents from. And I uh, like to think that my fingerprints are on those things too because I got to see them (laughs) before they went to the museum. Um, I'd like to invite people to go to the website, www.AnnieMaloneHistoricalSociety.org. I'd like you to come to the giving site anytime tomorrow um, and do the best you can because collectively, that collective economics piece, which Annie Malone really pushed, was real important to the empire that she built. And that is givestlday.org forward slash A Malone and do your best. It will help us. Either way it goes, large contribution, small contribution, it will help us, and we will appreciate that because we will get to take that story to more ears and more eyes, and that's the thing that's important. Well, thank you so much for coming on tonight. And everyone else, remember, your ancestors left footprints, just as Linda Nance is telling us the story of Annie Malone You all also have stories that you could tell about your family members, people in your community. So let's talk about sharing, telling that story, getting the truth out in your community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I look forward to everyone joining me on Friday. Goodbye. Thank you, Linda. Thank you, Bernice. Thank you, Bernice.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 